to you live from Columbia, Missouri. This is The Hot Corner with your hosts, Patrick Harrion, Michael Imami, and Logan Franz. One hour of nonstop sports starts right now. And good morning, Columbia, and welcome to another edition of The Hot Corner. I'm your host, Patrick Carey, and alongside me is Michael Imami and Logan France. It is Friday, March 6, 2020. It is March, and when March comes, we're every minute closer to the March Madness, to baseball season, to spring. It's when everything gets better, isn't it? Yeah, and our famous March Madness Super Show, as I like to call it, all four regions in just 60 minutes. Yeah, two weeks from today. Two weeks from today. It'll so be the wild... Oh, jeez. I remember last year we did this. We had I, I calculated how much time we needed to spend. Or we still got to the final word, I believe, in, in, that, uh, in that episode. I don't remember if we got to the final word, but we definitely made it through all four regions in 60 yeah. minutes. We had to pretty much go through all the regions, each region in about, I think it was like nine and a half minutes. Yeah, it was... About, it was an exercise in moving quickly and quickly covering things and, you know, not spending too long on one particular thing. So it was it was a fun show, and I'm glad I'm ready to do it again this year. I cannot wait till I make my bracket. I feel like last year I was slightly unprepared, and this year I feel like I, I, got, a, I got a mood, you know, this year coming See, up. See, I've watched a lot more basketball, college basketball, in right. the last, you and I in the last both about did. three months than I've watched in my entire life. You and I both did. <clears throat> so Excuse I feel... Me. I feel more and more than prepared for this this year's March Madness. Yeah, you know, well, specifically when we watch Mizzou lose. You know. Yes, I mean, you know, I've just grown numb to that at this point. So, I mean, they, I, they I, gave I got me to, false I had, hope I with the, Auburn. They really I had the did. pleasure of calling uh, last week's game against Mississippi State. It was a lot of fun, but I mean, it was kind of like a it was a tough loss, but calling the game nonetheless was was something that was I enjoyed a lot. But you know how I do how I am when it comes to the uh, March Madness. I believe in the sheet of integrity, but what I mean by that is you make one bracket for every pool you're in. And I know there's some people who work here at the station, some people I know outside of the station as well, they'll laugh at me. They're like, well, don't you want to have like 20 brackets so you can say you picked the upset right? And it's it's like you pick the same outcome or you, you pick a game and you have like Kansas beating a, 15, a 16 seat, but then somehow by the grace of God, the 16 seat wins. You're like, oh, I picked that upset when in reality you didn't. Yeah, if you, if you pick it's no both, integrity. That's what it is. If you pick no out, if you are if you pick both outcomes, you're setting yourself up to win regardless. So I don't. Like I, that I at also all. agree. One bracket. This, one bracket. One bracket only. You go. You you only have one vision for how this plays out. You cannot just make twenty five and say, "Hey, I got twenty five different visions for how this plays out." If you make twenty five different sheets, you're basically cheating yourself out of the the whole point of the game. Or the whole point of the the exercise in doing that. So I feel like if you want to call yourself a prophet being involved in this, you have to make one sheet of integrity. It's not sheets of integrity. It's sheet of integrity. And that's where that kind of comes in. I, I got to give some credit out here, too. It was the old ESPN show, Mike and Mike in the Morning, where they first brought up the sheet of integrity. I can't remember which Mike did it, honestly. <laughs> it's been years since I saw the the actual scene that they did it in. Well, that's where I got the idea from, and I've stuck stuck to it as long as I've made brag. It's about, you know, seven, eight years at this point now, turning t- since I'm going to be 20 at the uh, once May comes around. How long have you been making brackets, you said? Seven, eight years. Okay, seven to eight. I heard, like, I 
Did you, did you think I said like 70 years or something? No, I thought you said like 17. And I was like, wait a minute, where are you getting I, that I, I came from? out of the womb making brackets. Listen, oh, yeah, yeah, it's it's early in the morning here. It's an early Friday morning. We always take a little bit to get into speed, get into full gear. All right, we're, we're actually going to shift gears now. We're going to go to our first topic of the day. And that is discussing and breaking down the American League East. As you all know, we have a six-week preview of Major League Baseball on the show, which we did last year. We broke down each division, picked who we thought were teams to look out for, teams who are going to be really bad, and who's, endly, who's going to end up in winning the division and making perhaps the wild card. So the American League East has been, you know, it's been, it's been very interesting looking at this. I mean, you still have the Yankees who are going to dominate, which, you know, isn't really that surprising in my opinion. And you also have the band, the Misfits, or the Tampa Bay Rays. I call them the band of misfits because it's a bunch of players who are more like scraps. But when you put them all together, they make something great. It's it's quite amazing what this team can do with so little money and with players who have been cut from other professional teams, players who aren't exactly all that great. But what they're able to bring out of them is amazing. And you also have the Red Sox who are thrown right in the middle of the cheating scandal that's kind of Put a dark cloud over professional baseball at this point. Alex Cora, he's gone. He got fired. They traded their best player, Mookie Betts, and their other one of their. Well, I guess I guess at this point their number two guy, David Price, and then you have the Toronto Blue Jays, who are just average, and of course the Baltimore Orioles, when where life is pain. <laughs> so I'm gonna open up the floor, guys. We're gonna talk about. I feel like we got, you know, let's start at the bottom. Let's talk Orioles first, just to get them out of the way. So I'm going to open up the floor to y'all. What are your thoughts? Well, the Orioles right now, they do not look like anywhere near a playoff team, obviously. Um, and that's saying the least. I mean, you look at their lineup. They got Hans Alberto, Trey Mancini, Anthony Santander. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Renato Nunez, Chris Davis, the one and the only. Austin Hayes, Rio Ruiz, Jose Iglesias, and Pedro Severino. Their pitching lineup consists of John Means, Alex Cobb, Asher Wojciechowski, Wade LeBlanc, I remember hearing that name, Brendan Bailey, and Tommy Malone. So this is going to be one interesting team from the perspective of Chris Davis. Because I remember we talked about, I, I can't, I, I forget when we were discussing this. It was, but it was I, in the beginning of the season. He, did, he, did he change his, his swing or something like that? Because he has, is having more success at the he's, plate. He's working, he's been able to hit the outside pitch, which for him was a big problem. Yeah. So he's been able to take the outside pitch. It's a lefty, so he's taking out the left. So he's been able to... He changed his approach, essentially, and it's yeah. it's working out in, in the spring right now. Well, they got him batting fifth here, and I don't know if that's a good position for him because I feel like he has something. He has a chip on his shoulder going into this year, especially with what he went through last year. Um, you know, I, I don't think he should be batting cleanup. I feel like this, this is a prove-it season for him. They pay him all that money, and guess what happens? So, you know, the year prior, he had the MVP caliber season. Then he goes down to into, into the, you know, kind of sluggish performance last year. So I feel like this year is going to be the year where he really kind of has to come into his own. He has to prove that he's worth that contract, and I feel like he's taking the necessary steps to it. But I like him batting fifth. I really do. You mentioned a name in the pitching rotation that caught my eye, and that was Tommy Malone. I think it was the very last one you mentioned. Yeah. I, I just want to say one thing. Uh, Michael, you did not have MVP caliber numbers in 2017 nor 2016. The year prior to that, I thought. The year prior to last season? What was the year he hit 50 home runs? 
I have the stats up right now. He hit 50. He hit 47 in 2015. Yeah. That was 38 that was, in 2016. That was the one that I was talking about. Actually, he had 53 homers in 2013. So he was in. He had that production a long time ago. I mean, I think a change was due, though. You have to look at it that way. You can't go into the season thing. I mean, the guy's 33 years old, and they signed him the contract. And again, if I'm if I have a guy who's hitting 33 home runs, I'm okay with that. I mean, I know he wasn't necessarily the guy that was hitting for average, but I knew he would be the guy that would be hitting for power. I think it's unfortunate to see what he went through last year, specifically because, you know, he had the the hitless streak, which was a disaster for both his confidence and his game. And you have to look at it from the team perspective. What are we getting out of this contract that we're giving him? And that immense pressure, and I know we've seen that a lot in sports, where we have a guy who gets signed to a massive deal, and then they underperform heavily the next year because of all that pressure. So I don't know if this is the year where he kind of relaxes. He worked on his swing. He's working with the hitting coaches. He's developing a new style, which could help his play out a little bit. We're seeing more success in spring training. I feel like he'll be more successful this year because of that. What I was saying earlier about um, Tommy Malone. Was I just wanted to call him out. That's all yeah. I wanted to do. <laughs> I, I saw him play a lot last season. He played for the Mariners. Wade LeBlanc did too. But um, Tommy Malone was one that stuck out to me. He's not obviously going to be like a top of your rotation guy, but he's... He wasn't terrible. He's got good location, and I think he can be a third, fourth, you know, guy in your line. Obviously, they need more depth there, and they don't have many of the many guys up top. But Tommy Malone and Wade LeBlanc both can be pretty solid third or fourth guys in your rotation. We had a four-four-four ERA last year, so I don't <laughs> I know where remember, that ends up. You got to you got to take this into account. This is a rule I'm not a big fan of, but American League having the DH, it's a rough. Estimate you can take one full run, one off of the yeah. one point zero zero off the ERA. Yeah. So in National League, he'd be a three point four four, which is I don't know if that's necessarily I mean, fair to say, but I, I do agree with the DH. You have you, you, you have to take off something. Some, you know, He's I, not every pitcher is like Madison Bumgarner. I don't know if one in full run is the answer to that, but I I, I do. That's, agree. I, I use the one full run. I, I, no, I, I feel like the numbers are inflated. That's what I'm saying. From that standard, he's what he's he's a three point four four guy. Which yeah, is I mean, he has average. It's, he's average. That's what he is. He's I mean, the he's, third best. He's not going to allow the third you. lowest ERA in this rotation right now. I mean, and that's not at. saying much. I mean, you're talking the Orioles here, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying he's a strong. Looks to be a strong pitcher here. What, what's it going to be with the Orioles? Is it's going to be a hundred loss season. Everyone knows it's coming. It's going to be hundred losses somewhere like fifty over hundred losses, like 58, 59 wins. They're lucky they go sixty-two and hundred. That's the kind of situation they're in. Because the eternal they're, they're, rebuild. They're in the rebuild stage. The eternal rebuild. They've been rebuilding since I believe it was twenty seventeen when they lost to the Blue Jays in the wild card game. So they've been rebuilding since then. As the old saying goes, Rome was not built in the day. And that's this team, it's gonna take a couple years. Yeah, at least. Well, this team not too long ago, and I remember 13, 14 year old kid. I remember watching, you know, Manny Machado, Adam Jones, you know, and, and Buck Michael, Showalter. Michael was a 13 or 14 kid. That's over. That's almost six years exactly. ago. Exactly. What I'm saying is, is that this rebuild has been taking quite a long time. I wouldn't say it's been taking a long time. I've been saying it's been working since this is year three. Year three of the rebuild. It's after the 2017 season, 2018 rebuild, 2019 rebuild, 2020, year three. Typically, you're expected to have your guys in house in three years in most I cases. I wouldn't say. I'd, I'd say give it four. I'm basing off my experience with the Cubs. So, like, from around 2011 to 2015, about four seasons. And we look at it that way. They they took 108 years. You know, that was just uncalled for. Building is not how long it takes you to get to a World Series. Building is how long it takes you to get to a 
team that is capable of winning a World Series, which I would say they were in twenty or they did win twenty sixteen. In, in twenty fifteen, they made it to the National League Championship. Mm-hmm. Series, I think so. they were capable of doing it then. They just didn't. Well, they made the wild card about four years ago. So I mean, again, they were eighty nine seventy three, and then this team started breaking records for how many losses they had. Um, after the 2017 year where they had 47 and 115, that is historically bad. Um, and, and I agree, they had to fire Buck Showalter. I'm a big fan of the guy, but they had to fire Buck Showalter on that. Um, you know, but I am seeing some improvement. 2018, they, they got 54 wins, still over 100 losses. Um, but the thing is, is that... And this year, they'll have 57 wins. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. You need, to, you need to have that steady improvement. And you and I both had this conversation. Baseball is not a sport that's going to be fixed overnight. You know, it's going to take a lot of, you know, groups and scouts and staff and players and managers and individuals who can work really hard over a prolonged period of time to build this organization into a winning franchise again. And, you know, the Orioles were the laughing stock of the league back in 2008, 2009, and then they got good when they were landing guys like Machado, Jones, guys like that. So, you know, we may not be far off. Who knows? So we're going to go to the next team that I have. I'm pretty much going through where I have these teams ranked in the division itself. We're actually going to talk about every team this time. We didn't talk about every team last week in the National League East, so I'm kind of disappointed in that, but we're actually going to spend time talking about each team. We're going to talk about the a little bit about the Toronto Blue Jays, which which are a interesting team, to, to, to say the least, with guys like Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Travis Shaw, who's okay, Randall Gritchick, who's decent. This team has a decent enough Lineup filled with now second-year players being Kevin Biggio and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Guys who have now have some MLB time under their belts. They will be good enough to make an impact for the team. But really the problem is that rotation. Hinge and Rio, he's great. And you have guys like Chase Anderson, Tanner Rorick, Matt Schumacher, or Schumacher and Trent Thornton. I'm going off of the fan graph Steph chart here, mm. and what I can tell you is there's only one guy that, that makes me a little little nervous to play against, yeah. and that's Hinjun Ryu. Yeah. I feel like the Blue Jays, and they've made this statement going into the season, they said, you know, don't don't be out here talking bad stuff about us because we're, we're going to surprise you. I, I understand. Because and they're not I, getting I anywhere close to the from. postseason this year. I, I get that, but they feel that they have enough talent. And I remember, I think it was Vladdy Jr. that were saying this, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that said, you know, we got a lot more talent than you might think. And I don't think this is a team that's going to outright win the AL East. This is not, you know, the 2016 Blue Jays. Like, that's ridiculous. Why would we think that? But you have... Some guys in here that, I guess, have the ability to make some noise in this division. I mean, this is not the same, you know, Stroman kind of team that we saw where David Price, back when David Price was good, or Josh Donaldson, or uh, Kevin Pillar. Yeah, it, it's, it's not like that team they had Edwin Encarnacion and Jose Bautista. Yeah. I, I, don't, I just don't see it in this team. They can say, we're going to make noise this year, but that noise can only be a 500 season. No, especially, yeah, I could see that. Especially when you're playing in a division with the Yankees and the Red Sox, it's always going to be Don't an uphill about the battle. Rays. The, the Rays Red Sox well. are not going to make the postseason this year. It's always an uphill battle when you're playing those teams. It just always is going to be. So I think they can come out and say that, you know, with this team is a lot more talent than anyone thinks, and, you know, we can make a legitimate run at it this year, but they need to. they ultimately need to go out and show it first. Yeah, and the other thing is, is like, again, you know, some other guys I didn't mention on there, Troy Tulowitzki, 
you know, he's, Justin Smoke at one point. <laughs> Troy Tulowitzki, he's it, retired. It, yeah, but the thing is, though, is that you look at it that way, that there are so many guys that were there that are not there anymore. And that, that to me, was, was the killer. Because you had this, essentially, the stacked team with, you know, including Edwin Encarnacion. So they've, they've taken a big step back. But I feel like they, they got more to prove than, than you guys might think. Yeah, but that rotation. Yeah, I, I see it too. I get it. That's, it's that not, is the immediate red flag that's coming up for me at this team. It's not great. Hinjin Ryu, you need more. As great as a pitcher as he is, he can't carry the team as himself. No, yeah, I get that. So I get that. They don't have a two that's or three why guy I don't have I don't have them being I have them being below five hundred. I have them at like seventy seven wins, which I feel is a decent enough prediction for them. All right. I can see that. <laughs> Michael's defeated. Well, no, I'm just saying, you know, I d I, I don't wanna I don't wanna, you know, put these guys down because I feel like they, they feel they can hit their way to victory. I, That's I'm sure the feel. Orioles feel that they have a shot at winning it too, but the reality is they don't. The Blue Jays said that they had the biggest chip on their shoulder in that division. They can say that. They can say that. Unless they go on a magical run and the rotation turns out to be as good, if not better, than the Yankees, which I don't see happening anytime soon. This yeah. team is not making the postseason. Yeah, having a chip on your shoulder can only take you so far. I mean, I you can that. play with the chip on your shoulder. You can play with with character. You can play with pride. But ultimately, you need to be good enough. They have all the personality <laughs> of the dark horse. So I'm uh, just going to... I don't know about that one. I, I'm just going to say that. I don't know the personality I don't know if I agree with talent. you. My mind says they're going to be below 500. My heart says they're going to be over 500. Well, your heart's wrong. Well, my mind... <laughs> One of those two things is right, so we'll see how this goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they finished the season at 500. Yes, All right, now neither we're, one. We're going to switch gears into the top three teams in the division now. We're going to talk about the Boston Red Sox first. And a question I have for you guys is, is it a retool or a rebuild? Well, that's the thing that stuck with me after looking at what this team has done in the offseason. I think this is a rebuild. Really? Yeah. I think when you look at State what, your thesis as to why. What happened and, and, with Alex and Cora. five sources. Okay. <laughs> this ain't an essay here. All right. You saw the trade with Mookie Betts. You saw this team fire Alex Cora. I feel like the fallout of the investigation will put something on this team that I feel like will, will cause them problems. I like the lineup. I like Andrew Benatendi, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Michael Chavis, Mitch Moreland, Christian Vasquez, Kevin Pillar, and Jackie Bradley Jr. I feel like this is a team that has decent defenders and, and great offensive power. But again, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like this team has the same fire they had two years ago, a year ago, because I'm looking at the rotation. Honestly, I'm not liking it at all. You know, Colin McHugh, and I'm also seeing a lot of injury symbols here, injuries on here. You know, you got the Chris Sale with the left elbow. You got Colin McHugh well, with the right elbow. Let's not forget that Dustin Pedroia, who's been hurt for like it feels like the last seven years, but he's he's hurt. Yeah, well, I I, I have not heard that man's name in years, but you know, the, the rotation is Chris Sale, Nathan Navaldi, Nate Navaldi, Martin Perez, Colin McHugh, Ryan Weber, and Eduardo Rodriguez. You know, Chris Sale, I think, is the strongest pitcher right now in that rotation strongest by far but he's having elbow trouble and i also think that the staff you know again it's it's not quite as like the blue jays but again i'm only seeing one really one or two big names in there and i can't count on who's healthy so i think we got we got some problems with this team so the thing is if i were to look at this and say it's a rebuild you would have seen jd martinez being traded take his contract off off their 
their payroll. You would have seen potentially you might see Chris Sale getting traded. That's why I feel like this is more of a retool. Why would they trade Mookie Betts because and then make Mookie comments Betts about had, had one year left in his contract. They knew they weren't going to be able to sign an extension right away. So they he get, said he took it personally because he he's he can like, think whatever he wants. Well, yeah, See, but I the thing is, that, you got to look at it this way: the Red Sox are in that retooling period. You know, the Rays they'll always use some devil magic and make guys who aren't that great great. The Yankees are the Yankees; they'll always be perennial AL East contenders. They look at the season as we don't have what it takes to win now. So what we're going to do is trade our best guy because we know we can't sign him to a long deal, long term extension because we don't have the money for it. And then you just trade. What you do is you also out able to trade David Price. They take off a lot of money from his contract. So what they're lining up for is, fingers crossed, that the Dodgers don't sign Mookie Betts to an extension and they can target him in the offseason. That's what they're trying to do. Well, that's quite a risk to take. Um, and the other thing that I want to say is, is that the firing of their manager, I also think, will be will be a problem because and, I, I get yeah, it. it is. It's because of he's a cheater. I understand, but yeah. I also think that you know Cora wasn't a bad manager either. No, he was a good you know, I, I, I felt like there, you know, there's this team is going to go through a bit of an identity crisis here. They have to figure out, you know, what who we are, what we're made of, what we got to deal with. And I feel like for the next one to two years, if they get bets back, but they got to get a guy in here that's going to really light a fire under these players and make them compete again. Because this year they come off of a World Series win. And you talked about the the fever that they had last year. I think that's going to be a problem. They got They got to take some. Do you time mean off. Uh, they come off of a World Series win last season? The season prior to last season. Okay. I had to clarify last that. Last year, I was like, you, you, we were in here. You said you, you were saying that they're coming off a World Series. And I'm like, oh, that's that's not true there, I Michael. said last year. Yeah. Same I difference. I wanted to kind of walk through Patrick's logic here because I'm not exactly sure where where your mind is going here. You say they trade Mookie Betts because they knew they wouldn't be able to sign him to an extension. Right away. Right away. Okay. What's keeping them from just keeping him on the roster and having the chance to sign that extension during next season? You still have to deal with David Price's contract. His contract's eating up a lot sure, of salary. Sure, but that one salary. that one can be that one can be dealt at any point in the season. My point is you're saying they didn't keep him on the roster because they don't think they're gonna sign him to an extension, but it's easier to sign him to an extension in the year where his contract is ending if he's still on your roster, not waiting for Francy. You're banking on a team signing not signing him to an extension, which is risky business. It's risky. It's really risky. I'm not a huge fan of it. But they got a good return in that, and I think they got a, well, they got a they decent, got a good enough return, decent enough return. Alex Verdugo, good utility guy, great player. They got him, and that's that's a big that's a big gain for them. I don't know. I just think when you're asking the question, is it a rebuild or a retool? I think you have to look at all of it and sure they didn't trade away, you know, JD Martinez. They didn't trade away Anton Bentonian. However you want to spin it, they didn't trade a lot of their core guys. But I think the Mookie Betts trade is the biggest one in asking that question. He was the best player on that team, and he was traded mile. away. I think you can make. I think you can make a clear case that it is a rebuild in Boston. I just don't, Although I, then you look at it, how long is it going to take? Because I think this can only why, be a year. Well, I'm looking at, when I think of a uh, rebuild, I'm saying two, three, three, four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. of tanking. I don't see this team tanking at all. No, I don't see them tanking. Okay, I guess you and I have a different definition of rebuild because I feel like when you say the word tanking, I feel like tanking is is essentially a stupid thing to do in baseball. I don't like the idea of tanking to begin with, coming from a guy who's a fan of a franchise that is three and thirteen every year. But again, there it is. The reference to the Redskins every time. I didn't say the word every time. But again, 
you know, when you look at a rebuild, it's a different definition for everybody. And, you know, you are going to, you know, kill me across the room here when I mentioned the Cardinals, you know, having that quote unquote three to four years where they didn't make the playoffs. I don't know if you want to call that retooling or rebuilding. I because. But the thing that I think about that is, is that you've had three to four seasons where they're going through an identity crisis, trying to figure each other out, trying to figure out what's best for the team and what they're going to do. And I feel like that, in a way, is a rebuild. You don't it's, have to be 62 and 100 no, to be a rebuild. No. If, you're in, if you're contending, at least contending for a division, you're not rebuilding. You guys, the Cardinals were still contenders in the American and in National League Central. It wasn't like they were going 63, 62, or 100. That's not... That's what a rebuild is. A rebuild is when you throw away everything you have and you start over. This team is not doing that. And you, by you saying that the Cardinals were rebuilding in those years, it's just plain wrong. I mean, again, I think they knew that they didn't have the same lineup they but had they were in 2011. Still contending. They were, but the, they weren't contending the they way they— They weren't throwing everyone away. That's what I'm getting at here. Look at the Cubs for a second, okay, when they won that division. And the Cardinals were competing for the wild card. Granted, it was the second or third last day. They knew they didn't have— but they were still the in it. If you're contending for a playoff spot, you're not in a rebuild. It's plain and simple. Do you think Boston's going to do that? They'll, do I think they're going to do that? Is a different question. But I, if I think you're they'll be at least over 500. Spot, if you're contending for a playoff spot towards the end of the season, especially, you're not in a wild card position. Or you're not in a rebuilding position. I'm sorry. I mean, I feel like when you lose the power that you once had in that division, you essentially you, you had a stranglehold over the NL Central. So yeah, you I mean, take that division, you have that division every year, and then you look at Chicago, who all of a sudden is winning 100 games, and then you look at all these wild card teams in there, and I understand they're, they're, the record was good, the record was decent, yeah, but and they, you, were, they were the still competitive. Is, what I'm getting at here <clears throat> is you guys weren't trading away all your best players and starting over. That's yeah. what a rebuild is, and, that's what, and the, what you did is not. And that's what the Red Sox haven't been doing. They haven't traded away much of their assets besides Do you think Mookie this Betts. is a little bit of both? No, it's a retool. Unless they go out and trade J.D. Martinez and Andrew Benatendi, and for whatever reason they trade Jackie Bradley Jr. and Chris that Sale, would just be stupid. Then that is a rebuild. But they yeah. still have guys that are good. You still, have, you, it's they still have a quality lineup there. They still have a lot of players that can still play. I think ultimately, if they were to choose to do a rebuild, they would have they would be trading away more assets, trying to acquire more draft picks, acquire more younger players, and they haven't really done that yet. I guess the definition of volume here involving how many and how much is a little bit varies across the table, but again, you know, you look at it that way, you could say it's more of a retool, but it is. Again, if you know that you're not going to make it, into that playoff position. You know that you're not going to win the division. You you own that division for so long. That becomes a problem. Here's the thing. Who's, how do you know that they don't think they have the firepower to Because I feel like the Yankees do. Hmm? Yeah, okay, well, it's, thanks, Booger. I mean, yeah, it's not that hard. It's it's different when you're they talking about what teams have. They have to go against teams like, the, well, I mean, the Rays are projected 89 wins. The Rays, can, They the can Rays, always think they're better than the Rays. Yeah. Theoretically, they have the better lineup. Now, well, yes. what the Rays can do with nothing is amazing which we're going to get to in a couple seconds here because we're running short on time. we got to mm. talk about two more teams. Well, they took Verlander deep multiple times last year. This team can definitely clinch a second spot, and then you've got the A's who can clinch a second wild card spot. So, again, I, I don't know what the Red Sox are thinking right now. They're retooling. That's what they're doing. So we have two more teams to talk about here. We have the Rays and the Yankees. It's going to be quick. I really want to spend a little more time on the Rays and I would say the Yankees because, well, it's the Yankees and everyone knows how great they are. But the Rays, 
they are such an interesting team to me. They acquired Yoshito, Yoshi, Yoshitimo Tustuko. Whew, say that five times fast from Japan. Great Japanese player. One of the, it might be one of the better signings of the offseason. And they also went and got in a trade Hunter Renfro from the Padres to feels like the most Tampa Bay Rays player to ever exist. Yeah. He has a lot of potential. He can be a good power guy. He can be a good hitter. And you just need the Rays to bring down him. But also, what's so interesting about this team is that rotation. They have Charlie Morton, who still 36 years young, <laughs> going through multiple surgeries. Tower Glass now, and one of my favorite pitchers to watch, Blake Snell. This team, this team... It will give the Yankees a run for their money. In my I feel opinion. like, yeah, I feel like every year we're kind of like look at the Rays and kind of, you know, what can they do? Can they take that final step? I really hope eventually, I really hope that year is coming for them soon. They're just a fun team. They're such a fun team to watch. The band of misfits, as I call them. <laughs> a lot of guys who are just either homegrown or gotten through trades. This team, it's going to be interesting. Well, I'll tell you what. I think this is a great fit for Jose Martinez. Because he was a decent hitter, bad defender, and they have him in the DH spot. I think this is a this is a very very good position for him to be in. Also, I like G Man Choi a lot. I remember we talked about him last year quite a bit, and that's something that I think is going to be really really interesting because they're leading off with Brandon Lowe, who had 29 homers last year and hit 262. And the average in in this team is is just fantastic. Like everybody on here is is contributed in some way significantly. And then they got the pitching staff, which I also think is great. So I see this team making a lot of noise. I really do. This team is it's gonna they're gonna be fun to watch. I mean they're guaranteed in my opinion a wild card spot. Yeah. We can all can we all agree on that? I think so. Yes. Look at us. We're all agreeing. <laughs> That's a first in a hot corner. They'll make a wild card. They'll give the Yankees a run for their money. So I think the, that might be a bit much. I don't know. They give the Yankees run for their money. I mean, the Yankees are probably going to win like a hundred games. So. They're always they're always a powerhouse. It's hard. To, it's always hard to bet against those powerhouses. It'll be interesting to see what kind of noise they make during regular season. I would say to our listeners out there, if the Rays are playing on, for example, Sunday night baseball somehow, which I don't, it's quite rare. <laughs> or when you're, or when the Cardinals, I don't know if the Cardinals play the Rays this year, or if they're on Fox, whatever showcase they do, sit down, watch a Rays game. If you want to watch. Smart baseball, smart hitters, an analytics-based team, watch them. Or if you want to watch the other analytics-based team, you can watch the Oakland A's, which are a lot of fun team to watch. So we talked about them a couple weeks ago. Watch the Rays. They're going to be something. I was going to say this team reminds me of the 2001 Oakland A's. They do a lot with little. And I feel like the guys that are not supposed to be contributing heavy amounts are doing exactly that. You know, this team is the, you know, you call them the band of misfits. I feel like that was the Oakland A's 20 years ago. And to me, that's something that I feel like is is a really, really big, you know, gives them a big chip on their shoulder. Now we're going to go to our final team, a team we can probably all agree on will win the American League East. The New York Yankees made a big splash in the offseason, signed Garrett Cole to a massive, outrageous contract that no baseball player should ever be paid unless you're Mike Trout. So, <laughs> but they also lost Edwin Carnacion, who went to the White Sox, D.D. Gregorius. His team is... On the tip of my tongue, I can't remember off the top of my head what team he went to. Dylan Batanzas. I'm actually going to pull it up right now because right now I sound like an idiot if I don't know what I'm talking about. Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, he went to Philly. Dylan Batanzas went to the Mets. That's really all the players that I'm looking at that they lost 
in yeah. the offseason so far. Stanton and Hicks, Aaron Hicks will be on the IL. James Paxton and Luis Severino will also be on the IL. So this team, injuries could be a problem again. Yeah, but I then think- again, we saw we saw this last year. Oh, the Yankees are not going to be that great. They're hurt, and they still mm-hmm. won the American yeah, League East. Severino had Tommy John surgery. I believe he's already confirmed to be out for the season. The other ones are kind of up in the air. But yeah, I think the injuries are the big concern here. And you know, you can say, oh well, it's still two weeks until the season opener and I guess you just have to wait and see how they stand until then how they stand once opening day actually hits but yeah if if you're looking right now and the season started today I might be a little concerned about these injuries how good do they feel about that Garrett Cole signing I mean I understand they probably felt good about it the moment it happened but you also look at them losing I mean I I, I saw I saw the the press conference and they brought it the little sign well they remade the sign because that wasn't yeah those okay I'm I'm, I'm not giving context here there was a picture Garrett Cole had. I saw it somewhere. It might have been on MLB Network. Yeah. Of him as a little kid at Yankee Stadium holding a sign. I think it said something like, I want like to go. Something with the Yankees on there. I can't remember exactly what it was. So when they announced the signing, they brought Garrett Cole out, sent him at the table, and they brought the sign out. They remade the sign because it wasn't the same, and they gave it to him. It was something I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So really, Garrett Cole, the best, one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. We can all agree on that. Absolutely. They're going to win the American League East. They'll be a, a World Series favorite. So the potential of a Yankees-Dodgers World Series is growing as we speak. And I'm not too much of a fan of that, actually. So anything else you guys want to add about the Yankees before we head off the break? I feel like this team's lineup speaks for itself. I mean, when you got DJ LeMay, Hugh Brett Gardner, Gleyber Torres, Gary Sanchez, Luke Voigt, Miguel Adujar, Clint Frazier. Adujar. Adujar, excuse me. Giovanni Urshela and Mike Talkman, I think that's how you pronounce his name. You know, this team is stacked, okay? The, and, and they've already proven that they can do enough with, with, with guys who are out. So, again, you know, this, this to me is, is the most fine-tuned machine, I think, in, in the entire league at this point. Yeah, they're, they're, there's no doubt they're going to win. Stop what they're going to do the postseason. We'll have to wait. And I'm see. not going to argue with you there. No doubt. All right, we're going to have the break. We come back. Who's the pretenders and who's the real? And then this week in hockey on a hot corner on KCU 8.1 FM and KCU.FM. This is how we do every day. We be grinding. And if you want to come and test If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, oh, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Okay. Hey, this is KCOU 88.1 FM. Are you trying to release the hottest project of this year, possibly next? Come down to our studio in the Student Center. Can mix, master, record, edit, engineer your whole project, your whole artistic experience wrapped into one visit. Please come down and visit us. If any of this interests you, please email sessions at kcou.fm. <laughs> Max Fist is. 
Max Fix is a proud supporter of KCU 88.1 FM. Max Fix is located behind the U.S. Bank in the MU Student Center and handles crack screens and other electronic repairs. Thank you, Max Fix, for supporting KCU Columbia 88.1 FM. It's been interesting. I actually sat and took time out of my day to watch the Blackhawks for the first time in what it feels like a week or two. And I sat there and I was preparing for the show. I was doing some homework and I was sitting there watching this team. And they're doing the thing again when they grab me in and they're saying, hey, look at us. We're going to make a run at the postseason. Only the lineup for the eventual collapse that's going to come in a matter of weeks in what feels like. I mean, I could be 100% wrong, which usually I am. So Yeah, it feels like they're in a position where they can definitely make it. What they do with that remains to be seen. We've seen this team go on these kind of runs before where they're kind of down and out and people start doubting them and they come back and, you know, they come back and make a run out of it. I think that they... The past four games, they've won the past four, they look like they're clicking on all cylinders. The defensive effort is sometimes lacking, but, I mean, Corey Crawford has been incredible over his last 18 starts. He's allowed three or less goals in 17 of those 18. The lines are clicking. Dylan Strom got moved back to center, and he's playing. him and Patrick Kane have some sort of just connection all the time, and they they just look like a completely different team than they did just even a couple weeks ago. Alex DeBrinkett's finally clicking. He took some time to, you know, get going. They're just rolling right now, and I think they have a legitimate shot. The thing I loved about last night... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was not... You can go. Go. No, because we watched this game together, and I watched the one previously. And the thing that I noticed... This is four in a row. Very impressive. But... A thing that I noticed was the power play, the penalty kill that I loved. And I thought Saad had a great game. I thought DePrinkett had a great game. I thought well Kane a had game. a great game. I thought Carpenter had a great game. And I felt like everybody on that team was clicking on all cylinders. And to stop the two best skaters, arguably, in the in the league, the uh, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, and to not allow a single goal on that power play and to kick Mike Smith out of the game because mm-hmm. they outshot the Oilers 14-4 to in the second period, which, again, it wasn't necessarily his fault. I felt like he was being put on extra pressure because they spent an inordinate amount of time in their zone. I mean, the Blackhawks were firing off shots left and right, and the Oilers could not keep up with them at all. And it lit a fire under their defense, so so they came back. But I felt like it was more of a message for that line than anybody else. Yeah, I'm not sure if you saw the clip after the second period, but when Mike Smith was going to the locker room, he slammed slammed his his stick, broke his stick. And he was frustrated because, you know, the Blackhawks were giving him a rough time. He let in three goals in that period off of 14 shots. That's just something you can't do. And... I feel for for the first time I was watching this team against a good team because, you know, the other three games were kind of, besides the Lightning, the other two were kind of simpler teams to play against. But when they were clicking against the Oilers, I felt confident in Crawford. I felt confident in this team. And that's something I haven't done in a long time against a actual quality opponent. Yeah, and I think Dave Tippett was smart. I mean, I, I no, no harsh words for Mike Smith here because I felt like, you know, again, I, I don't think it was his best game, but I also think that he was making a decision for the team because sometimes when you take a guy out, you're not necessarily doing it because the guy is playing poorly. You're doing it because you're saying, hey, you know, we need to play better defensively. We're, we're putting too much pressure on this guy. This is what's going to light a fire under you and to get you to start playing better. And he was hoping to do that with his front line because Edmonton is, you know, I mean, this is a great win for the Blackhawks. I mean, this this was a Huge. team that I thought would go in there and win four to nothing. 
But, you know, whatever's been going on with the Blackhawks right now, it's just up and down, back and forth, whatever. They're playing some really good hockey right now. I, I, I like what I'm seeing. Yeah, and I want to extend out to the rest of the Western Conference in just a second, but I do just want to take another second to mention a bit about the Blackhawks. They've got Minnesota twice coming up. They got Detroit tonight, which, you know, all in all should end up a win. Crawford's going to be in net again for the for twice in the back-to-back, so we'll see how that goes. But they have Detroit tonight. They have Minnesota twice left on the schedule, a team they need to jump, and they have Nashville left on the schedule, a team they also need to jump. So those are going to be the important games for this team. And but what else they need to do is they need the hope for Winnipeg to lose. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, I'm not a fan of being in this situation at all. I like at oh, least yeah. being... That's that one, the first team away from the wild card spot. Yeah, you want to be secure in your spot, and you want to feel like you have a easy shot at it. But this team, the tone around this team is confidence all around. They're not focusing on what anyone else is doing. They're focusing on coming out and winning each game. They have some games in hand, a game in hand on most of the teams in the in the wild card race. So you just have to take each game as it comes. You know. Focus on winning today, and we'll focus on tomorrow when it's tomorrow, and we'll focus on what these teams are doing when we have to. But until then, the, mo- the sh- most surefire way to assure you get into the playoff spot is just keep focusing on yourself, keep winning each game, don't worry about what the teams on the outside are doing. Yep, and then they got. I mean, they got they got work. I mean, they got they got a lot of people that they oh, got yeah. to work with. Their work's cut out for them, but I think they've shown over the past couple of games they definitely have the. They definitely have the opportunity. To I think Olchek like said the they have they to go eleven and five. Night. I think that's what Olchek said down the stretch. And ten said and five. Pat Boyle said that. Yeah. On I was listening to Blackhawks talk this morning on my way over here. Pat Boyle also said ten and five seems to be the benchmark this team needs to make. Yeah. If the, game, if the team plays like they did last night, blow a shot. Mm-hmm. The thing that's still what's in the back of my head is you still need Winnipeg to lose and you need Vancouver to lose. You need Nashville to lose. Yeah, there's a you lot of teams. There's a lot of things you need to happen. There's a lot of teams Because you can keep winning, have... but the other teams, since, I mean, now granted, Blackhawks are four points out of the last wildcard spot, but Nashville, Winnipeg, and Arizona are all tied with Vancouver for that last spot. Yeah, it's a tough race. You need a lot of things on to the happen. Outside of, but I mean, like I said, you can't focus on what these other teams are doing. You just need to come I'm out I'm not saying that they're winning. going to focus on them. I'm just looking at, at, at this from my oh, yeah, perspective. yeah, it's an uphill battle. But here's the thing. Vancouver's already lost four straight. So, I mean, they're in a, a team that was, you know, in running for winning the Pacific is now in the second wildcard spot. So, I mean, these things happen fast. And I think you can look at the Flyers this year. They are at this point in the season. They've won eight straight, and they've propelled themselves into second place in the Metro. And I'm not saying the Blackhawks are going to put Spoiler them. Spoiler alert! I may be talking to them later. I, I probably, I actually will as well. <laughs> but the, I'm not saying the Blackhawks are going to, you know, somehow have this miraculous rise from the bottom and put themselves second in the Central Division. But they look like a team that has a shot to sneak into a wild card spot. And we've seen time and time again in the NHL: once you make the playoffs, once you make the big dance, making the playoffs. Possible. Is all that matters at this mm-hmm. point? We well, played the wild twice. I mean, that's you know. You can pick up four right there. You yeah, you can I mean, yeah. you can't. The, the thing is, you can pick up two against. You cannot Nashville. go to overtime against the teams you need to beat. Yeah, you cannot, and you cannot lose those games. Obviously, so I yeah, mean, I mean the, <laughs> the, the yeah, Booger McFarland over here. But yeah, the <laughs> the big ones are the two games against the Wild, who actually currently sit in the first wild card spot where they were third last night. But they. The Wild are the two big ones, and Nashville's a big one as well. Those are teams that you, those are games you cannot afford to lose, and you need to win them in regulation. Those are going to be the big deciders. 
They played like they did last night. I think they'll do that. But it'll be interesting we'll what they do. We're gonna, we're gonna now go to the Eastern Conference because we haven't talked about them yet. Where we have the Rangers fighting for a spot, the the Hurricanes, the Panthers. <laughs> I don't know. I was looking at who's down and out uh, in these conferences. I, I, I draw the I line. Stopped. If you're if if you're out by more than four points, I don't look at you as anything else. Like. I drew the line underneath. Well, drew the line metaphorically. I drew it underneath Florida. Yeah, that's right. I'm not looking so, at Montreal. Montreal, Buffalo, New Jersey, Ottawa, Detroit. See ya. Detroit you making own. that playoff push. Well, <laughs> New Jersey was out the day the season started. Well, yeah, was, I'm just saying it's it's. If you're gonna say any team was out the, the day the season started, it's Detroit. Yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that's where I'm drawing the line was underneath, underneath. Well, Florida. the Devils I are think somehow worse. Five teams in the series. Also, can we talk about the Rangers? They were, they were a surprising one to me. They signed Chris Carter to the extension at the trade deadline. They also kind of traded away some assets. Brady Shea left. But I don't know. They are a team that is really They're, interesting to me in this deadline. And I'll, and one player that I want to mention, which I'm probably going to talk about later, whose last name is <laughs> going to mm. be a little interesting to talk about, Mika <laughs> Zibanejad. There we go. I will also you. be talking about later for a spoiler alert. But Eight goals this week. He's really helped the Rangers. He has been single-handedly. Yeah, he's been I mean, carrying this team. Jolid, Jesper Foss scored a goal. I, I know of. I know of him because I drafted him in the <laughs> NHL expansion. Yeah, he's he's a good he's a good winger as well. He's someone to look out for. This mm-hmm. team, I can see them. I, I if I'm looking at any of these three teams, I mean, I lo- as much as I love Carolina, I see the Rangers. Yeah, they beat the Caps in overtime last night, which was huge. Yeah, Michael. And I wasn't going to yeah, add him. I was, I was just using that. it as a as a point. But yeah, and Mika Zibanejad has been carrying this team. And the thing is, they still have star power on that roster. We mentioned the all-star Chris Kreider. We, you know, Artemi Panarin's on that team as well. So they have the star power if Zibanejad even steps off, which, you know, he's been... He's been fine this season. He's been carrying them. But even if he were to step off, they still have some of the star power to take them distance. And this team has good enough goaltending to, you know, make a run towards the end of the season and make that, you know, make that push for the playoffs. And we said it with the Western Conference, once you make the playoffs, anything's possible. I mean, the Metropolitan Division is very unforgiving. I mean, again, I mean, this is a team that has the Capitals in it, the Islanders in it, the Penguins in it, all who are over 100 points. Don't forget the Flyers. And the Flyers, excuse me. They're not over 100 points, but they will be. Yeah. your point. My thing is, is that you have to look at it this way. If you're going to compete in a division like that, there's no forgiveness. And that's the thing that I have a hard time doing with the Rangers because... You look at their record right now, they're pretty good. They can make a push for it, but I feel like they have more of an uphill battle than teams like the Blackhawks do because you're essentially in a division with a bunch of teams that are, you know, running the the, the finals. That's the thing, though. The Rangers can compete. That's the point I was trying to make is that the Rangers can compete. You look at their record. They are, I mean, by traditional standards, they're nine games above 500. I don't like the current 500 standard. I think overtime losses should be counted as actual losses. But if you include that, they're still five games over 500. So they they are a team that can legitimately contend, I think. And, I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to, you know, try and be prophetic on this show because it always comes back to bite us if we're wrong. But I think that the Rangers, when all is said and done, they will be the second wildcard team. And if yeah. you wanted to give me, if you wanted me to put money on who the first one would be, I'd say it's the Islanders. I think both New York's team, New um, York teams. That means we don't get to see Columbus. Columbus, Turks. It, Columbus you know, is leading. I mean, it, it happens, but. I mean, Islanders are on a five-game losing streak. So, yeah. Uh, but then again, Carolina's on a four. Well, Carolina, Carolina has is from what I see, they're on a just, they've lost their last, and that's it. 
Three the Islanders three are on a three-game streak. Hmm? Four-game losing streak. Well, they've they've they lost three games last month, so if you count those, yeah, they've got to they've got to keep it going. But I mean, so do the Islanders. They've lost their last three straight. So yeah, they're just that's... they're just in pain right now. Shall we go to the award ceremony? I think it's time. All right, I'm gonna go first. I mean, we hit an edit before. Skater of the week. Mika Sabanishdan of the New York Rangers. Eight goals, and I believe he scored four in one game. Five. Five in one he, game. He got the overtime winner against um, Washington. Five in one game. That's yep. more goals than I've ever scored in my entire hockey career. <laughs> Granted, I've never played a hockey game, but still. One assist, nine points. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure we all have him. Unless you went down to the right, the path of Leon Dreisaitl, who scored uh, six goals, five assists, and 11 points. Yeah, it's still the only guy that can make. It's the only other guy that you can put in contention for this. Yeah, when Zibanejad had the five goal game, I was like, "This is like yeah, that's is that's my player of the week." Mm-hmm. No, so there I was there was that. no way to go against that one. I think this is the unfortunate situation where we all have the same player because if an individual does that, there's really no topping that. Have we ever had a clean sweep in the awards on the show have. in baseball? Or I think maybe like we chose we all chose like a team that was doing. I can't remember who it was in baseball, but there was a week where a team was just. Steamrolling over everyone, we chose them. But I thought so. I don't know. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. I don't know. I can't remember. But all right, we're now going to go to the goalie of the week. I'm giving mine to Jonathan Quick of the Los Angeles Kings. Two and zero on the week. Only allowed one goal with a .47 goals allowed, which is a not a fun stat, but whatever. Sixty nine shots against, sixty eight saves. One shutout in a .986 save percentage. Goalie of the week. I'm going to have to give mine to Corey Crawford. Um, and I know we talked like about it. Malcolm Subban coming in there. And it, again, it was it's really special when you see a guy play this well. I mean, coming into it, I feel like he is the one essentially carrying this team because I, I understand, like, you've got Patrick Kane, you've got, you know, all these guys out there that are doing a fantastic job, but none of that would have been possible if he wasn't a net. And I feel like he's put this entire team on his back the last four games, and I feel like he's going to continue to do the same. So really good play from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll refrain from getting more in-depth to it because we got to move on here. But my goalie of the week, former Blackhawk, actually, Robin Lanner for the Vegas Golden Knights, came in and was just an instant fit. His first game in a Golden Knights uniform was a shutout. 2-0, and 59 I believe that was his second game in a Golden Knights uniform. But regardless, 2-0 and on this week, 59 saves and 61 shots. It's a nine six seven save percentage, one shutout. So Robin Lehner, former Blackhawk. I hate to see him go. He's my goaltender of the week. And last but not least, the team of the week. I hinted at it earlier. The Philadelphia Flyers, winners of their last eight games, nine and one in their last ten. Really asserting themselves in the net playoff race, a team that I'd watch out for once the playoffs hit. They seem pretty secure in a playoff spot. And I mean, we talk about this all the time. All it takes, it's the NHL playoffs isn't necessarily about how good you are. It's about when you get hot. And the Flyers are hot right now. Do we think it carries into the last 15? You know, that remains to be seen. But they're, they're one of the teams to watch out for in the Eastern Conference for sure. And I chose them as well. I cannot hide from the fact that, you know, the Blues, eight straight wins. They've beat New Jersey, Arizona, Dallas, Minnesota, Chicago, the Islanders, the Stars. They won a bunch of games last month. And then they open up this month with a win, I feel like, against the Rangers, 3-1. to one. So St. Louis is really hot right now as well, both on an eight-game winning streak. They've been hot all season, yeah. to be well, fair. Yeah, but they, they, had a, they played they horrible it. beginning of the month of February, and then they came back. So, yep. Team of the week? 
I already said the Flyers. That's why I piggybacked off of you. All right, we're heading off to a quick break. When we come back, the final word goes to that corner on KCU 8.1 FM and KCU.FM. Welcome to today's lottery drawing. And today's winning numbers are not yours, not yours, and another number that's not yours. And the final number is not yours. When it comes to having money, don't rely on luck. Brew your own coffee at home instead of buying that latte. Brown bag it to work instead of ordering it. Go to feedthepig.org for more free ideas on how to save. Feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. A delicious power breakfast. Great way to start the day. I'm Brandon Anthony. And I'm Keegan Harbin. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. to listen to me. And me on our new show, Breakfast of Champions. Here on KCOU Sports, KCOU 88.1 FM. When you hear that, it means one thing is coming. And my all-time favorite segment in any show I've ever been a part of, the final word. Because when we all spend the last 10 minutes of the show talking about something that interests us or something that's just flat out weird. So, as usual, I go first. And I usually talk about the weird stuff on this show. And we're going to head off to the wonderful world of minor league baseball. So I'm going to start out with this. If you want to look at a place of lawlessness, chaos, and insane experimentation, Look no further than the world of minor league baseball. We have traveled here, as a matter of fact, just about a year ago, and we discussed the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp and their promotion of Florida Man Night. I love it. Where each patron at the game would try to break an odd law in between each inning. Today, we're heading out west to the town of Great Falls, Montana. Yes, people do live in Montana. So that's <laughs> right out there. To Great Falls, which is home of the Voyagers, the advanced rookie affiliate of the White Sox. They have a promotion that I think is just amazing. It's called Bison Fish Night. And you may be asking, Patrick, what are you talking about here? Yes, Let me explain to you. I am. The Voyagers will change into the Bison Fish. They'll wear a white jersey that looks like it was thrown together on Microsoft Paint. It says uh, Great Falls Bison Fish. And it's a logo of a half bison, half fish looking creature thing. It's on, it's on, the, on the jersey. And the promotion for it is... If you come to the stadium with a live bison and a live fish, free admission for life. I just imagine people like, you know, in the woods hunting for like bison. <laughs> the, one, and the, one, like, the one thing that's coming to my mind is, what do you do with the bison once you're there? Yeah. I, I, I'm thinking the guy's bringing in a fishbowl with a goldfish in there and he's carrying on a leash this, this massive bison. It's like the, um. it's like, we're, give, give me my free admission for life now. Yeah, it's like the one the one we talked about know. last year where, um, you know, th- what was it, tie an elephant to a telephone pole or whatever, yeah. that weird law that they were trying to break? You so, know, yeah, this, has to, this has to be one of the weirdest promotions I've ever heard of. And also, are we all going to make the road trip? Maybe. Is it, is it time to hunt bison? I, I want to I I get, get some bison. Let's go. I it's easy to get a fish. We can get a goldfish. Let's get a bison and get free admission to this baseball stadium. You guys know life. F.P. Santangelo? The uh, color commentator for the Washington Nationals. I don't, but you just who said, no, okay, sir, yes. I do not. So they were doing this thing where the Washington Nationals were doing this, you know, pets at the park day, pups at the park, cats at the park. And he says, okay, where do we stop? Are we going to do fish day at the park or whatever? So I was like, yeah, this kind of reminds me of that. Like, where do you the draw the line? You can't draw the line because, you know, whatever. So In minor league baseball. 
There are yeah, no lines. There are no lines. There are especially when you look at how that how that league plays too. I mean, they're they have you know what they call them, the the test. They have a, a team that tests the new rules out. So, I mean, they they push the limits there. No question about that. Right. All right. So I guess I'm up now. Yes, sir. All right. Um, <clears throat> so I have a pretty interesting story here. My hero of the week is a, a young man named Josh Speedle who overcame a traumatic brain injury. Um, and scored his first career points for Vermont. ESPN has a story here. Uh, Myron Medcalf from ESPN has a story. He says, five years ago, Josh Spittel suffered a traumatic brain injury in a car accident when he was a senior in high school, shortly after the former prep standout and three-star recruit committed to playing for Vermont. On Tuesday, Spittel made his first Division I start on senior day, and he registered the first points of his collegiate career in a matchup against Albany. In a prearranged moment, Spittel scored on his team's first possession. With 19.40 in the clock in the first half, Spittel caught a pass from a teammate. Everett Duncan took one step and scored off the backboard. Players from both Vermont and Albany hugged Spittel before he went to his bench and hugged every player and coach. He also shared a moment with Albany coach Will Brown. He says, I did it. I'm a college basketball player, Speedle said after Vermont's 85-62 victory. I scored in a college basketball game. You can't take that away from me. I'm just so forever grateful. And his mother says at the end of the story, so Josh's journey, Lisa said, which is his mom, um, she said, should inspire others to keep going, even in their darkest times. She says, quote, we want people to have hope. Just that reminder, you know, don't give up, and uh, it's just a great, a great story here, um, and just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounded. I'm not sure if it's just you being a little under the weather today, but it sounded like you were tearing up, and that's what this story that I'm about to tell made me do. It's from the great, great, great city of Corden, Indiana. This is reported by ABC Seven. ESPN also talked about it. They talked about it on Good Morning America. So it's been everywhere over the past week. And actually, I initially got this story because Patrick sent it to me Tuesday morning. And the Corden Central High School Panthers had their senior night. And they have their basketball coach, Chase Best, who has had a kidney disease since he was 11 years old. And the stands in Corden Central were decked out with green to show support for organ donation. And, you know, um, it's just another day for best he thought it was to support the bmatch.org you know that organization that was trying to find a match for him and they announced at halftime i was watching the video where i don't know who it was i think it may have been the principal or someone but he was talking about him and they had someone come out and give him a gift that was a t-shirt and he looked at he said can you face to the crowd please and the t-shirt said kidney buddies for life and what had happened was they they brought someone out who was his old baseball coach, actually, in high school, and he was a match for best. So they put that. That happened, and just watching the video, you know, they're all hugging and all that, and it was it was truly an emotional video to watch, and it was just an emotional story. So, I mean, sometimes the people come to you in the weirdest of places, and this happened for best. He was he was given an organ donor that he'd known for most of his life. So just an incredible story there out of Indiana and it had me tearing up watching it. And I'll see if I can find a way to post the video to our Twitter after the show. It was definitely one of those moments that when you're watching it, you just, to see the reaction, I saw both players, the coach and the and the player both hugged each other and I'm sitting there watching this in my room and I'm like, okay, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't plan on crying today. It was surreal. There was a a group hug after... 
that that announcement from his entire team, and it was just touching to watch. Yeah, but when you see something that it's almost like the world stands still, you just kind of forget about you know your problems or what you know what's going on in your life, and you just kind of witness something like that, and you kind of look at it and you're like, you know what, it's going to be a good day today, and that's something that I think when you see stories like the one that I had and the one that you had, and a lot of the stories Patrick had, and that's okay, the stories. Are, the stories I tell it, are some of them are inspirational. Some of them are inspirational. Don't knock yourself. <laughs> You know, as we wrap up here at 11, 8.59, excuse me, a.m. in the morning, I just want to say why we do this for you folks here who are listening. It is because, you know, if you can get up and get inspired by something, um, you know, great. And, mm-hmm. and that's why we do this, and that's why we keep doing this. So Yeah, we'll, we, we have to go here. But I mentioned it just a couple weeks ago, why I do this in the first place. It's to remind people that there's still positivity in the world, and there's still... You know, in a world where the media is, by and large, negative a lot, they report a lot of the negative things, I want to show people that there are still good things happening in the world, and there are still positive. So that's why I do this. That's why we all do it. And with that, that is the end of another episode of The Hot Corner. Make sure to follow us on our social media page at Hot Corner Sports. You can follow yours truly at Patrick Harrion, Michael Imami at Imami Michael, and Logan at The Logan France. Also, make sure to check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, and any other podcast services under the name The Hot Corner. We will see you next Friday, same place, same time. We hope you have a wonderful weekend and a wonderful rest of your Friday. This has been The Hot Corner, signing